Father, we just thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that we can just gather freely and celebrate who you are. Um, and Lord, I just pray that as I, I preach this morning, Lord, that you would just guide my words, um, and Lord, that we would hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Um, firstly, and I've wanted to say this a couple of weeks, um, Chucky, Josh, and I banter a bit, and Chucky has a running joke that if Josh preaches, it'll generally be from Hebrew. Um, if I preach traditionally, it's classic content, in the words of Chucky. I am pleased to report, I, as far as I know, I'm not going through a trial, so this week's sermon will not be about trials and tribulations. Yes, reason to celebrate. Um, so, we've been talking, obviously, a lot the last couple of weeks about vision, um, and I kind of want to continue on that um, and apologize this ends up being a very long intro. But I think thematically there's been a bunch of things that Dyer's kind of talked about, and Carve talked about, and then Chooks picked up on last week. I want to kind of recap some of that before I kind of continue on that. Uh, so thinking about like what we started with the three weeks of Dyer's couple of sermons is we need vision in our lives. We're not called homeless believers. Heavenly vision, kind of the week, week two, heavenly vision demands obedience to the word. And the vision of Christ is church. And I'm going to read like pretty much straight from the Kevin Connor notes, is that Jesus said that he would build his church. It would be a victorious church against which the gates of heaven would prevail. Church is people, people who are called, convicted, cleansed, and converted to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this in the book of Acts. Um, I think we've preached on it multiple times, but you think about it, at the end of Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches his, his amazing sermon, and they filled with the Spirit. So Acts 2, 37, after he preaches, we see, we see Bert, we see them be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they devote teaching and the breaking of bread. They devote their lives, their entire worship, and giving to one another and giving of one another. So if we want to know what church should look like, it's that first and foremost, it's church is defined as the people of God. Not just us gathering on a Sunday morning, not just two fast songs and two slow songs. Um, it's for, church is first and foremost who we are as the people of God. So then I think of, okay, well, what Carvin and Chooks have kind of picked up on in the last couple of weeks, that the way to be obedient to the vision of Christ is to pick up your cross your life and follow Jesus. We have to submit ourselves to the vision of Christ, which means submitting ourselves, submitting our flesh to his spirit, and we seek his kingdom first in everything. When we seek the kingdom of God first, all other things have been added. And then in, in being obedient to God and godly vision, we have to have a relationship with God. And um, Chooks has said last week, there's three things that really stuck up to me, or three stuck out. Um, and he talked about three separate characters, which I'm going to call out, all starting with S. Samson, Simon, and Stephen. Speaking of Samson, and I'm literally trying to quote Chooks here, you can know of God personally is of utmost importance. Speaking of Solomon, when you look at the life of Solomon, the most the wisest man that ever lived, um, somebody 
but he lent, towards the end of his life, he lent on his own wisdom and he forgot the Lord and he walked away. And then Stephen, there's somebody who knew God, was able to release forgiveness even at the end of his life when he was being stoned. And we, the profound impact that he had is, you know, we called out standing there while Stephen was being stoned and he said, you know, I'm releasing forgiveness. So, you know, when I think about those three, it, the examples of Samson, Solomon and Stephen, it's like what's really clear is that in being obedient to God and godly vision that we have to have a relationship with God. It can't just be, oh yeah, I know who he is and I know it in my head. I have to have a relationship relationship which spurs me on there then have an impact on those around me. So, Hopefully that kind of the scene in that we need vision, be obedient to the heavenly vision, and the vision of Christ is his church, his people, living convicted lives set apart for the purposes of God. And is then of people who submit to the power of the Holy Spirit, seek first the kingdom of God, and people who have a relationship with God. So with that, I'd like to look at the instructions that Paul leads, leaves Timothy in being obedient to a heavenly vision, um, in particular what he calls out throughout the book of 1 Timothy. Um, and I just want to encourage everybody to like, go back over and listen to the last couple of sermons. Every, like, I've spent the last couple of weeks just constantly like, going for a run and listening to the podcast and going back and going back and stuff always stands out so please go back and listen especially like die sermons have been incredible so there are so many exhortations in those sermons but also like spend time in the word i encourage all of you guys like read through one timothy because there's, there's a lot in it um so my my title today is um in good conscience guarding entrusted to us um, so we're going to go through a couple of passages in First Timothy. Um, first, we'll start off with One Timothy chapter one, verse three to seven. So, as I urged you, this is Paul to Timothy. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, in at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and genealogies, which promote speculations. Stewardship from God that is by faith. And this is my favorite part of this section is the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either the saying or the thing about which they make confident assertions. So for, for context, Paul is writing to Timothy, and there's a couple of things. He's, he's a leader at the church in Ephesus, and he's instructing him on care for the people around him. So there's a couple of chapters where he talks about, in chapters 3 and 5, Paul talks, talks to him about appointing overseers and deacons, caring for widows, and caring for the people around them. And then in amongst all of that, and it's mentioned a couple of times, Chapters, like I've just said in chapter one and parts of four and six, there are people around them who are false teachers. There's lots of weird doctrine arising. There are people 
devoting themselves to myths and speculations rather than the stewardship of what God's given them. He even talks about, later on in chapter 1, about two individuals, Hymenus and Alexander, who make a shipwreck of their faith. And so that's the context then if, when he's writing to, these, to Timothy as a leader in the church of Ephesus. But it's actually, I was thinking about it, it's not too far removed from us as modern believers and things are at the moment. One doesn't need to be far to see people moving away from their faith or just floating with, oh, I just believe this and I believe everything and I believe in the sky gods and all this other stuff. And it's like, I, I, I don't know, if anything I've noticed over the last couple of years, so many people who have been core and who've said, yes, no, I believe in Jesus, have just drifted and wavered. Um, and it's not too far from where we kind of see ourselves. So then what does, what's the of that? So in warning Timothy against false teachers, people are wavering in the faith, Paul reminds him that the aim of our charge is love, issuing from a pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. So I think about that, that charge of love, it's like, Timothy, you were in effort leading this church, you are caring for the people, you are being obedient to the vision, right? But that charge is from love, a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. So what does it mean, you know, when I think about this thing of guarding religion in good conscience, and specifically because the, the phrase good conscience, he mentions it in 1 Timothy 1.5, and then later on in uh, a couple of verses down, which I'll get to, but I think about it and if you think about your conscience, it's when something weighs on you, right? So when I think of good conscience, it's doing this in the right with a clear mind and holding on to truth, holding on to the truth of the word of who Jesus is. Um, I was thinking about it like if something, if something weighs upon your conscience, it's you know, generally because it's like, oh, I really feel like I have to do something. If I've done something wrong, it weighs on my conscience. It's like I feel like I've offended somebody and I'm not too sure. But if it feels... Conscience, it's kind of like, well, no, there's ways upon us because it's the right thing to do, living with integrity and depth of character, which is what Paul's commending Timothy to do. So, and he mentions this phrase, good conscience, several times across the chapters, um, and it's paired with having or holding on to faith. And having, and he, maintain, he says that maintaining a pure heart is the um, reminds me of you think about maintaining a pure heart that love being reminds me of Chooks talking about this last week about Stephen and the love and clarity of his mind for him to say don't hold this against them because just getting to that point for Stephen to go these people are literally about to kill me don't hold it against them the pure heart in that moment and his desire to love those around him that moment had to be intense, right? Um, and Paul, you know, he goes on reminding him to cling to his faith, reminding Timothy to cling to his faith to wage warfare on the prophetic words spoken upon him. And I quoted this a couple of weeks back in verse one, chapter 1, verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust you in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good war, holding faith and a good conscience. Rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. How many people do we 
you know, they've had, and, and even for ourselves, myself, it is easy to know what has been prophesied over our own lives and know the on our lives, and then we forget to wage warfare. We forget to, we forget to intercede for these things that we know God has asked us to do. Obedient to the vision, He's given us all plans, and we know it, but we don't wage warfare over it, and then we just kind of waver. And He says, "Okay, well, wage warfare, hold faith, and good conscience." Because there are those that have rejected it and they've made a shipwreck of their faith. They've lost sight of heavenly vision. They've lost sight of, and when I say they've lost sight of heavenly vision, like it's, and we see it. We see people who, yeah, the vision of church becomes this great organization and big buildings and lots of people as opposed to just people, heart for people. Because the, you know, God's vision and love is his people, his church. So, where am I? So, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting them have made a shipwreck of their faith. So, the vision had been entrusted to Timothy. It had been prophesied over him, but he had to cling to his faith in Jesus. He had to walk in purity. The false teachers had ruined themselves by not clinging on to truth, by wavering in their doctrine. Um, and how often... Yeah, if we are swayed by emotions, if we're swayed by the environment around us, it's so not to cling to truth, to be driven, say, by our feelings, which are a great indicator of how we might be feeling, but aren't necessarily true, and ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit when he sees us and convicts us about living in righteousness. So when Paul then asks Timothy about qualifications within deacons, and it's later on in chapter 3 I'll touch on it quickly he then reminds him you have to hold the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience and I'll just he's talking in chapter 3 about how you know Timothy you've got to appoint overseers and deacons and things like that and he says you know when instructed about qualifications of deacons he says they have to be people of faith walking in truth with a clear conscience so and I was thinking about it like I a couple of weeks I where was I? I was sitting down for dinner somewhere, and I was just waiting for somebody. And as I was waiting, I was just kind of reading my Bible. And I see this. I started reading one Timothy, and this chapter in one Timothy three talks about the qualifications of deacons and elders and stuff. And I'm not going to read it. I was thinking about it. And it's like these are qualifications for deacons, but they're also just for anybody in faith. I mean, yes, you know, deacons have to hold to the truth of faith with a clear conscience, but everybody has to. All believers have to. Um, these are characteristics desirable in all believers. Um, and just because we might not be a deacon or a leader or an overseer in a church, it doesn't mean that we don't need to hold fast to the truth of faith. To have a good conscience is to hold to truth what is right, unwaveringly, to live with integrity. So we have to be believers with good conscience, walking um, in integrity of character. Then I, I ask myself, what does, what does guarding the vision look like and what does it look like for us? So I think I'm going to go to 1 Timothy 4 and I'm going to read a bit out of this. Okay, so you guys. Now the Spirit expressly says later times some will depart from the faith to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, insincerity of liars whose 
Verses are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Train yourself for God. For while training is of godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Training is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is Saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no, be, let no one despise you for your youth, and it's talking to Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy. The council elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Dress yourself in them, so that you may see your so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Wow. So there's there's a lot in there. Um, but this is kind of where I think like this is Paul's instruction to Timothy about, okay, this is what you need to be so aware of when you hide yourself on. I think about, you know, so like we've talked about, he's writing to this context of people who are like walking away from faith and false teachers. And he, Paul reminds Timothy that those consciousness, they've seen their conscious. And so again, I kind of like not walking in, walking in integrity and then going, when we become numb to sin or to just stuff feelings, we then walk away. And that's what let these people follow deceitful spirits and teachings and yeah, start enforcing all these legalistic rules which weren't of God. So in the context of you know, Ephesus, where they were, they were you know, these people are forbidding marriage. They're telling them all this weird stuff. And Paul goes, no, you need to have good doctrine. You need to be trained in the word. And in a life, and I, I know at least everybody here probably knows somebody who has walked away from their faith, right? In a life where we see so many people departing and walking away, we have to, as believers, God be trusted to us, his church. We have to maintain good doctrine. We have to watch our lives carefully. What are we listening to? What are we submitting our thoughts to? What are we, you know, submitting our lives to in so much? Like, and, you know, in verse 16, it's up with that point when he says, keep a close watch on yourself teaching persist in it so that you will save yourself and your hearers so he's you know, yes timothy's a leader in that church but it's not just yourself that you're trying to save you you are caring for those you and keeping them safe and then he goes on in seven and eight so have nothing to do with irreverent silliness train yourself for godliness while bodily training is of some value godliness in every way. So 
and I've kind of talked heaps about people misarising and people chasing. Yeah, and I think we see we see people who chase signs and wonders as opposed to truth, um, elevating things that aren't really you know, ideas and philosophies over truth. I think what's really important here is then he tells him, guarding the vision of God, we have to care for, and caring for people in our lives means we have to ourselves for godliness. We have to discipline ourselves. It actually actively disciplining ourselves. I think we all, hopefully, we all know what it is to exercise bodily train ourselves, but we have to spiritually train ourselves as well, yeah. right? We have to be praying. We have to be in the Word. We have to be in the truth of the Word. We have to be staying accountable. We have to be living and we train from it. It's not like we wake up overnight and it's like, bang, I'm living like the holiest life ever. It's like, you've got to work on it. There is training involved. There's effort involved in it. And that effort means we're not distracting ourselves with irreverent myths and gossip and other stuff, but we're focusing on training ourselves in godliness. And then, I guess my third point, if I can call it that, is um, Paul instructs Timothy, you know, think about verse 9 to 11 of that chapter 4, um, to set his God and strive to obedience. Guarding the vision of God in our lives means when things become difficult, we need to focus and set our hope on God alone, knowing that he delivers us. But more than that, we also need to teach others that he is our hope. We need to encourage and instruct those around us to set our hope on him. Um, I think it's, you know, after they're baptized, after the thousands are saved, it's, they're thinking about the church and they live in fellowship with one another. And you know, for each us, let's live in fellowship with another. Let's gather as believers. Let's encourage each other to be living in hope. And that goes beyond just coming here on a Sunday, but being involved in each other's lives, I think. Yeah, and when, when Paul's saying this, I'm he says, to this end, and we strive. Um, it, this thing of like, we actually need to, I, I think as believers, it's not about we actually need to strive to be in community and in fellowship with one another. It's so easy in the modern day to just isolate ourselves and live alone. It's so important that we have to be in fellowship with one another. So then, as he kind of goes on in, in verse 12 to 15, let advise you for your youth, um, but set, the, set an example um, but I want to focus on 14, which says, Do not neglect what you have, which was given to you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul you know, obviously instructs him, you know, regardless of your age, yes, Timothy's a young leader. Read the word, exhort the word, um, but don't things upon him, but to practice them. And I think that having the vision and the people of God and caring for those around us actually has to mean we have to make, we can't neglect the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Regardless um, of how long we've been a believer or how old we are, whatever life stage we're at, um, not only do we live in good integrity and in good conduct, but we commit our, and committing ourselves to being in fellowship and exhorting those, but we cannot neglect the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And I think for each of us that's different. It might look like, and, and, and I think we've... I've talked about it. You know, I think lots of us have talked about stewarding the 
God has given us and stewarding our time and you know, have natural gifts and spiritual gifts. You know that you know, some people genuinely feel more pastoral. Um, some people are much better evangelists. Other people are much more administratively gifted. Um, but if we have giftings, like let us use them in service for those around us. Because it, what does it profit any of us to just hang on to our giftings and not use them? Um, and I, I will put the call out here in yeah. Everybody like church only happens if all of us come together and get our hands dirty and dig in. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the most phenomenal examples I've seen in the last couple of weeks has been Chooks and Hesh. I'm gonna Chooks is getting many a mention in today's sermon. Golden Child, 2023. Um, yes, uh, but yeah. Uh, to give you guys an idea of what this, this man has done last week, we have a storage unit that we have wanted to clean for a very long time. Chucky has just, yeah, middle of the week, he's busy family, two kids. He's jam-packed busy, and he's like, all right, we're hiring and we're clearing it out. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to do everything. And he's just gone away. He's got a full-time job. He's ridiculously busy. Committing his life to fellowship with other believers and using the gifts that's got in service of those around him. Yeah. And so encourage everybody, like we as a church, we need people to help. We need people on the team. We need people doing sound. We need people helping the team. We need people with kids. Kids definitely need people out. Um, we need, and you know, we, need, we need people, but also we need people in our community reaching out. There are so many needs in our community amongst us. Let's not neglect the gifts that we each of us have. So, yeah, I'm kind of getting to the end. So, yeah, what are my kind of keys? Chooks, if you want to jump up on keys, you can do that. How do we, in good conscience, guard the vision? to us. To live lives with good conscience is to hold to the truth, to live lives of integrity, the truth that Jesus is alive and that desires relationship with us. We are called relationship with him as the victorious people of God his Holy Spirit. We, we guard the entrusted to us by maintaining good doctrine, watch our lives carefully. Um, we gather disciplining our flesh by training for godliness. This looks like prayer. It looks like gathering and being accountable to those around us. You know, we guard the vision by striving for obedience word. And we also guard the vision by not neglecting the gifts and the prophetic words spoken to us and practicing them regularly in being inspiration. So I, w- I really want our integrity. When something weighs upon our conscience and we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, listen to it. Um, but also, let's continue to encourage one another in fellowship. Um, encourage one another in the word. You know, go to life groups and hang out with each other at a church. Um, send each other words of encouragement. Like, I remember there was this, if anybody, this was years ago. There was a point in time where everybody was sending voice memos, messages to one another. And it was kind of like a post-EMS thing, and then it just kind of spread. And there was one point there was like an entire WhatsApp like 60 people all sit reading a scripture and then encouraging each other in the word. Like, 
There's something amazing about that in terms of encouraging one another with the Word and gathering and discipling ourselves. It's discipling our flesh. It's putting ourselves in the Word and then going, all right, I'm going to encourage somebody else in this. I'm looking outward. I'm not looking inward. So, yeah, and yes, I am going to mention Tower and Winter Rain, all those things. Like, we have these great opportunities and it gets, it gets life, life gets can get to Friday night and go, I don't want to be there. But what better place is it than just spend time in the presence of God? Like I increasingly, I think as time goes on and church changes and you get older, I'm 34 now, mid thirties. It's scary. Scary. Time goes on, I just find like all I want is the presence of God. Like, guys, there is nothing like the presence of God when Yeah, like I, I told you, this isn't a about trials and tribulations, but when you're in a trial and tribulation, nothing like the presence of God that brings peace. Nothing like sitting down when you're anxious and going to just pray. I need to build myself up in the Holy Spirit in the most holy faith. He commends us. Sunday bubbin for the sake of it, up our spirit. Um, and oh, now I'm just ranting because I'm at the end of my notes, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, like there is just, it truly is nothing like the presence of God. When we spend time in worship, not like, yes, you know, I'm a musician and I love spending time in the presence of God and singing, but that the call all people together and worship. It's not just for people who are physically talented to gather and worship. Um, the call is for all of us to be in fellowship with one another, for all of us to encourage one another. If you think about you know, you know, what is God's vision, it is his church, his people. The call is for all of us to care for people. Um, it's, the call is for all of us to guard one another in love, to be caring for one another in good conscience, to not be letting people fall by the wayside, to be reaching out to one another. Um, so yeah, I just, I just hope that God encourages you guys. But even like, we'll, we'll jump to worship now. Um, I'm gonna pray. Um, yeah, Father, we just we, we thank you for your word, Lord. I just pray that you would to every single person in our church that we would be disciples of you and your word, that we would walk in truth, that we would that we would guard your vision, that we would be obedient to the vision that you have given each one of us. We would stand upon the truth of your word in every single circumstance of our life, that when we see people waver, when we hear doctrines, we would know what it is to stand firm in the truth of your word, not waver, and cling to you our eternal hope. But Lord, we also just pray that you would create a love in each one of us for those around us. We would know what it is to encourage believers to, get, to be in true fellowship with the gifts that you have given us, but to actually use the gifts that you've given us to wage warfare over the prophetic words that are spoken over us. Lord, to wage warfare over the prophetic words spoken over us as a church. Father, we thank you for the prophetic words spoken over us as a church and that we would collectively 
walk into these words, Father God, knowing that you will accomplish your word and you will bring all things. And Lord, we just, yeah, we thank you that in every circumstance you are there, Lord, that when people fall, when people waver, you desire us to live lives of discipline, live lives of truth. And Lord, help us to live in good conscience, to, just, to live lives of integrity and to stand firm on truth, Lord. Oh